Israel News Talk Radio, straight talk from Israel. You're listening to the Tamar Yono Show here at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. We are live if you are listening on Sunday at 4 p.m. Holy Time right here in the land of Israel, Sunday, the 25th of February, or if it's between 9 to 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time on Sunday, that means that we are live, and you can call into, the sh- call into the show with any comments or questions that you have about the topics that we are talking about. Our numbers are on the top of our homepage at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And we have a lot that we're going to cover today. We are going to be talking about geopolitical storms and AT&T outage reflections, an artificial intelligence primer, European farm protests, what is the issue? Marxification is a central national security issue. Does NATO expansion serve its declared goals or inhibit them? U.S. government debt revisited, plus a little bit of news from Israel and a guest on the show today. Besides my uh co-host Mordechai ben Menachem, who's going to be talking about an article that he wrote about his solution for the problem in Gaza with Hamas and its Hamas supporters, otherwise known as citizens. (laughs) And all of this is coming up on the show today. First, I want to introduce our guest, Dr. Mordechai ben Menachem. He is a researcher, former lecturer at Ben Gurion University. He's authored over 90 books and 400 research papers on science, history, and more. He commentates on many Eastern world issues. Welcome to the show, Dr. Mordechai ben Menachem. Thank you. Okay, wow. Uh, A lot on the show today. Hope we can make it in approximately an hour plus minus, and uh, it'll be exciting because we're going to have a guest on in a little bit, but where would you like to start? Let's begin with this issue of uh, the AT&T outage. Um, Again, it it sounds as if, you know, why am I bothering to talk about this on Israel News Talk Radio? What what has this got to do with things? Well, I'll explain that in a moment. Okay. Um, uh, What does this have to do with geopolitical storms? I'll explain that in a moment as well. But let's just look at the facts, first of all, the basic facts. Um, uh, full disclosure, uh, 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 AT&T used to be a client of mine at one time. Um, I personally have been a senior manager responsible for system quality and reliability for two national telecom projects. And I have consulted for several more. Frankly, can't even count how many more. I don't remember. Um so I think I am qualified to talk about this, this, this issue. Um, AT&T had a national a- a outage, as most people in America are probably aware. And I'm guessing that people in Australia are aware as well, you know, uh, uh, because they had an outage as well not long ago. Um, it's being investigated by DHS, uh, Department of Homeland Security, for possible cyber attack. The cause of the problem is still unknown. The central criticality of communications infrastructure in today's economy and society cannot be sufficiently emphasized. It is absolutely critical infrastructure, as critical as the electric grid. An outage is life-threatening. A prolonged and wide outage is a critical national security event. Remember, the defense establishment sits on the same grid 
on the same telecom grid, they have added layers to it for 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 added security, like uh, uh, encryption and things like that. But they basically sit on the same grid mostly, or they uh, sit beside it and they're affected by it. Apparently, ABC News acquired, quote unquote, uh, 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 in some undisclosed manner, which I believe should be illegal, a confidential U.S. cybersecurity memo, memo from the Infrastructure Security Agency called CISA, which states, quote, the cause of the outage is unknown and there are no indications of a malicious activity. That is an impossible statement as an expert in reliability for the last uh, for, for the last 60 years. That is a statement of profound immaturity at, at best. It is irresponsible, unprofessional to say that the cause is unknown and you don't know. And there was no malicious activity. That's not a, that is that is an impossible uh, 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 conclusion. So you basically they're keeping things from people. I don't know. I just what I do know is that this statement is professionally absurd. But that it shows you to restore it. Sorry, I, I was just saying it shows you how vulnerable we are exactly. and the infrastructure is. Exactly. I, you know, I just want to say I just uh, watched this movie. It was a strange movie. It was called Leave the World Behind. Julia Roberts stars in it, and so does whatever I don't know the other. I don't. I don't remember the other ones. But uh, it was all about how also the, everything went down. The internet, the the electricity was still there, strangely, but uh, the internet went down. No television, no radio, no cell phones, nothing, and they were also being attacked. And they weren't sure who was it the Russians, was it Iran, was it um, two different China, two different places. Very strange thing. But go ahead. It's just kind of like surreal here when you're talking about this. Go ahead. Okay, uh, I, I want to emphasize that there have been several attacks on Israeli telecom in, in, uh, infrastructure. All of them have been beaten back. Thank you. Israeli telecom infrastructure is much, much more re robust and more secure than the American infrastructure is. Uh, we have never had a national outage of any kind by any of the companies. There are many companies in Israel uh, that deal with uh, uh, telecom uh, infrastructure. Um, uh, 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 if they can surmise, and it can only be surmised, that they don't know the cause, but there was no malicious activity, that's pure surmise, then I will surmise, and I have no data, to, just as they have no data, that there might be a connection between hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants from China and Iran, many of whom were probably trained on how to take down um, uh, various kinds of infrastructure and the fact that infrastructure went down approximately uh, uh, at the same time in the United States and in Australia. Somehow, attacks in Australia, United States, Israel, seems to me that somebody is looking at things. Maybe I'm wrong. Hopefully I'm wrong. That's uh, quite worrisome. That is yes, quite is. worrisome. The telecom infrastructure is life critical. No one should be uh, uh, should belittle the importance of that. And again, this is not an American issue. We're talking about AT&T. The issue is not American. The event was American. The issue is not American. The issue is international. And for some reason, this only happens in democracies. It doesn't happen in China or in Russia or in Iran or in Brazil, for that matter. It only happens in democracies.
me- that's an interesting little point there. Okay. Well, what 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 is your point there? The point is that th- this is not uh, th- their statement that there was no malicious activity cannot be in a correct statement. It's not possible to make both of those statements at the same time. I've only been active in uh, uh, telecom communications and security for 60 years. Um, I wrote most of the standards. I wrote most of the textbooks on the things, or at least the basic textbooks. Probably some normal ones that I'm not familiar with. But um, so, so I think I know something about the subject. Something is going on here. It is not chance. So what can people, I mean, can anybody do anything about it? Or it's just the the government itself that's going to have to start hiring very brilliant people to try to fail safe this? I don't think government uh, uh, as it is can, can do a great deal in the, in the United States. I don't know about, about Australia, so I can't make any comments about that. Here it's not government at all. Here, here it is structured in such a well. I shouldn't say too much, but here it is structured in such a manner where there are private companies and there is a government regulatory body that aids them in terms of security. And I won't go into any details on that. Um, I don't know how it works in America, but for some reason it doesn't work. Interesting. Okay. Well, we are praying for our friends in America. All right. This, this is something that America needs to learn from Israel. Sorry, guys. That, that's that's life. All right, let's go on to artificial intelligence. Everybody in the world seems to be talking about artificial intelligence right now. And 99.99999% of the people that are talking about it, they know nothing about it whatsoever. Hmm. So let me give you a little bit of a primer here. What, what, what are these people are actually talking about? What is all this nonsense? What is artificial intelligence? What is the role of this thing called chat GPT and blah, blah, blah. Okay? Uh, 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 so let me start off with a definition. Okay? Definition published in a book by a gentleman named Feigenbaum. The book was, was Handbook of Artificial Intelligence, three volumes. The book was written after three decades of activity, scientific activity in artificial intelligence. That gives a bit of the historical perspective. Quote, artificial intelligence is the part of computer science concerned with designing intelligent systems, that is, systems that exhibit the characteristics we associate with intelligence and human behavior, such as understanding language, learning, reasoning, solving problems, and so on. Uh, Close quote. So let me explain what I just said. The AI systems that have been that have become popular lately are based on a large language model. That's the technique being used. By the way, that technique did not exist in 1981 when that book was published. Uh, that is a relatively new technique because computers at the time were not powerful enough to to use that kind of a technique. The 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 the, the so-called LLM uh, uh, thing, uh, large language model. It's a learning model that achieves some level of general purpose language understanding via analyzing large quantities of text and observing statistical relationships using computationally intensive training processes. Okay, now, what does that mean in real life, what I just said? If they are using, for instance, let's say 
a lot of people have flagged that chat GBT appears to be politically biased. It, 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 you can say certain things about one candidate and not about the other candidate, blah, 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 etc. Where does that come from? I'm going to guess, and I'm probably wrong, it doesn't matter. I'm going to guess that the people that wrote the software were not thinking about political bias when they wrote the software. However, if they're using, for instance, newspaper articles to train it, which makes a lot of sense, since that's very large quantities of current text, then the journalists who write the newspaper's articles are biased. And so the articles themselves are biased, hmm. and so the, the software is trained with an embed bias. Ah, very interesting. That's the political a a aspect of what this all means, okay? Hmm. So computational in intensive means that these programs, like programs like ChatGPT, ChatGPT. Now, these are the same guys that are talking to us about, about green everything in the world, right? ChatGPT, by the way, takes more electricity than an average 500,000-person city. So don't BS me about, the, about how concerned you are with the environment and then tell me that ChatGPT is good for the environment. It is not. ChatGPT is horrible for the environment. I, I'm not saying anything about the system. But if what, you're, what you really care about is energy use and so-called emissions and blah, blah, then you don't want to talk about, chat, uh, about artificial intelligence. It's enormously um, um, energy intensive. Okay, let's go okay. Qu quickly to a caller, and then we're going to have a guest on afterwards. Let's go right now to Antonio. Uh, Antonio, what's your comment or question for, for us here at this station? My question, my question is, with the situation that happened on, with AT&T, could it be related to a test um, when China had sent a balloon over to the United States? Another thing that happened was this past Thursday or Friday, um, there was a Hobbit balloon flew over the United States. I think it was 50 feet. Another thing is I would like to know, should it be a test through to see if this could be connected to the U.S. upcoming election? And what does Australia and the U.S. have in common that those two areas what does Australia and U.S. have in common? That's an easy part to answer. The common vulnerability. They're both democracies. They're both equally vulnerable. They don't. They both. They both have a lack of any real um, uh, 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 hardening of their in infrastructure. Has this happened in Europe and the democracies uh, of Europe? I do not know. I don't have data. I cannot say. I have data for the United States and. And Australia, I do not have data concerning Europe, so I, I do not know if things like this have happened in Europe as well. Now, as far as your, your question is concerned, can this have been a test, what we call a Nisui Kevin, a, a test of, our, of, 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 how, of what we can do here? Well, we're, we're sitting back in, 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 in Beijing and we're trying to say, hey, can I do this? It is possible. Again, they said they do not know what the cause is, if they do not know what the cause is, if this has not been stated clearly, cause can always be known in system reliabilities. Always. There is never an instance where cause cannot be known. It cannot be 
it, it might might not be published, but it can always be known. If the cause is indeed unknown, then it could have been anything. But it certainly could have been a test of malicious activity. That is possible. How probable is it? I don't have data. I don't know. Hmm. And what was your third question, Antonio? Um, the, another question was, this past Thursday and Friday, there was another balloon in the western um, over the United States. No one knew too much about it. Why is it being kept secret? And and did another did, did a, a balloon went over to Australia? Something is going on. Maybe I'm just being um, no, not trust, trusting anything. All I can say to that, I do not have data, but I can say to you, and I can say to everybody that is listening, please be paranoid. Do not be complacent. Um, uh, what was his name? Andy Groves, who was the founder of, uh, of Intel. He made it very, uh, he was a uh, Holocaust survivor uh, 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 from Hungary originally. And he said, just because I'm paranoid does not mean that somebody's not out to kill me. They say paranoid people live longer. <laughs> Please be paranoid. So if you're, if you have a reason to distrust, don't put it aside just because it's uncomfortable. I'm not saying always be distrustful. I mean, obviously you have to be intelligent on it, but do not be afraid to be paranoid. There's nothing wrong with that. Things are really smelly right now. Hmm. All right. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Antonio. My, Go ahead. This is my last comment. I have learned about trust. Trust is easy. It's hard to achieve, but easy to be destroyed. And that's why I don't trust many people and many things. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have to agree with you. Unfortunately. Yes, trust is very important. Thank you. Thank you very okay. much. Take care. All right. Yeah. And you know what? Trusting our government is so important. And that's something that we can't do today. People cannot trust their governments. They cannot trust their no. doctors even today. <laughs> no. no, you're absolutely right. Completely. Not that doctors are bad per se, but that, you know, they have their guidelines that their medical establishment tells them what they can do and what they can't do, and they have to abide by it or they could lose, lose their license and they're not going to, you know, whatever. Okay. Uh, why don't you talk about your next topic while I get our guest on the phone? Okay. Okay. I, I want to take a little bit of a side here and talk a little bit about these, these farm protests that we're seeing across Europe. And I want to sort of just just oppose that with the what's the the uh, I'm not certain what the status is, but I, 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 my understanding is that there's a, a a sort of similar protest of truckers bringing things into New York City. I think these are more or less the same um, uh, the same kind of thing that's going on. We're seeing these massive farm protests across all across Europe, UK, France, Poland, Belgium, Germany, everywhere. What's going on? Media sources have been very careful to hide what's actually happening. Most, the best you can get, you can get some basic data that 10,000 tractors has suddenly appeared on the streets of, 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 of what, what, some city or something, whatever. The issue is actually very simple. Until February 2022, European farmers were shielded from competition. They always said, no more cheap imports. Now, when Russia invaded Ukraine, then all the European countries said, oh, well, we have to 
invite imports from Ukraine. Ukraine is mostly an agricultural country. So all the restrictions on Ukrainian imports were lifted. It's left Ukrainian, European farmers subject to natural mar- market conditions. They don't know how to deal with natural market conditions. Just a moment, Mordechai. Sorry to interrupt you. Just sorry. We're just having red alert sirens coming in now. And this is uh, on February 25th at 421 p.m. here in Israel. Red alert sirens going off in the north of Israel. Kirat Shmona, Kvar Yuval, Misgav Am, Menara, uh, several other places. Bet Halel, Margaliot, Tel Chai. And here's more uh, red alert sirens going off. Kfar Giladi as well. We're praying for the safety of our citizens up north. And uh, yeah, just everybody, please say a prayer for the, for the protection of our people. Go ahead, Mordechai. Okay. Uh, uh, by the way, most of those settlements have been evacuated because of the, uh, uh, because of the activity of, uh, of Hezbollah. Uh, most of those alerts that we hear about, most of them, not all of them, but most of those alerts are simply um, uh, um, uh, rockets, neg- uh, again, how do you say it, um, anti-tank rockets. So they're very limited in range. Had the um, United Nations actually, if the United Nations actually existed in any in any real manner, then their job under United Nations Security Council Resolution 1701 was to keep Hezbollah at a certain distance from the border. Of course, they didn't, never bothered to do that. Okay. So that's and the, and by the way, not point. only have they not, have they not done it, but they haven't even condemned the Hezbollah. They haven't even condemned oh, no, no, the Hezbollah they're, they're, for they're, what they're, they're doing. The, the, the Hezbollah tells them what to do, not the other way around. So Hezbollah okay. tells them to get out and, of the way. And I think it was Hillary out. Clinton who was, if I'm not mistaken, it was Hillary Clinton who was the who was the Secretary of State at that time, made a promise to us that if we pulled yep. back, that they are going to guarantee our safety. And here, where is Hillary Hillary Clinton? Where is the Democratic? Uh, party that that Biden is the head of now, and he and he's the president of the United States. Where are they? No, they are instead uh, targeting farmers here in Israel. And if we have enough time, I'm going to tell you about that at the end of the show. But keep going. Okay. Um, so the Ukrainian farmers are not subject to EU restrictions, of course. They're not subject to regulations. They're not subject to cl- the climate policies. So they simply grow things and sell food. Simple, right? European farmers can't do that. They don't know how to compete. They spent decades in an uncompetitive environment. That's the price of socialism. When you can't, when you're not competitive and a competition comes in, you go out of business. That's the way it works. Same thing is happening with Trump and Netanyahu, the same kinds of things. We're seeing it all the time, all over the place. They keep on doing the same things, and people just don't pay attention. Have we got our guest today? No, no, I'm trying to get him on, so keep going. I'll let you know. Okay. Okay, I, I want a, a little, maybe a short comment on, on a concept called Marxification. Again, uh, uh, um, a lot of people are aware of it. Maybe, maybe people aren't. Uh, um, conscious of it, but it's, it's happening all over the place. Again, in America, in Canada, in Western Europe, in uh, in Israel even. Uh, Israel is mostly 
um, uh, uh, insulated, but not completely insulated from this. Young people need to be able to complete tertiary tertiary education without indoctrination and with critical thinking capabilities as a central issue of this for the security of Western culture. I think even those that are listening to us who are not necessarily in a Western cultured country probably have at very least some level of respect for Western culture, otherwise otherwise they wouldn't be listening to us. Western culture means, among other things, the ability to do what's called critical thinking, which is thinking that uh, a a, a method of thought that, that, or basically based upon um, how the Talmud was organized and constructed uh, uh, well over 2,000 years ago, the Greeks learned it from us, they promulgated it throughout Europe, and we have the the concepts of how Westerners think. Um, of course, they use a totally different philosophy, but the same thinking processes. And, and that's base, the basis of modern engineering and science today. So, as I said, Israel is mostly insulated, but not completely. A Jewish character helps us in that manner insufficiently, but we're getting along better than most other places. Still not good enough. And we have our guest. Yes. Uh, our guest is David Nabhan. I, ho- I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. Uh, he was a guest on my show a few years back. And it was on an article that he wrote called, Should Jews Start Packing Guns? And get this, David is not Jewish, but he's concerned about the safety of the Jewish people. He's a professional science writer for both Newsmax magazine in Shaking Up Science and the Times of Israel Tectonic Shifts. He's the author of six books and many hundreds of op-eds, articles, and commentaries in newspapers and magazines around the globe. You can find all of his articles, books, and interviews by going to his website at www.earthquakepredictors.com. His latest article he wrote, which we're going to be talking to him about, is entitled Time-Challenged Gazans Must Be Shown a Calendar, Then nudged forward. So I want to welcome to the show, David Nab, uh, Nabhan. David, do you hear me? Yes. Hi. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's great to have you on. So tell tell our listeners about your article. Well, I've published some op-eds that, uh, whose real controversy is that they propose a, a real politic into the Gaza quandary, this uh, three-quarter century long greatest tail-chasing episode in modern times. And my success, my my suggestion is a simple one. It's a, it's to first face the fact that no country can now have a a Gaza intact, remain poised to repeat next door the horrors that you know just recently uh, were perpetrated. That that chapter in history is closed. Uh, there's a divorce in the offing, and my proposal is to make it as positive and painless as possible for for both sides. Um, Gaza can't be rebuilt, though, and just simply turned over to the same population to destroy it again and again and again. You know, that path, following the footsteps of a thousand previous failures, should appeal only to the to the lunatic fringe. So my proposal was an international divorce. It's in order. And uh, the op-eds in the Jewish press in New York and the Times of Israel in Jerusalem and uh, 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 say so and to make it as painless as possible. 
So how would you well, implement this plan? What some, is it? Well, I did some quick math. The proposal is that uh, to propose a sum of $28.5 billion that could provide for a reasonable, comfortable wholesale transfer of the of, the, of Gossin households. That's $100,000 per household into any of the dozens of nearby Arab states, you know, with the same language, religion, cuisine, music, art, dance, uh, ethnicity, traditions, culture. Uh, that may sound like a lot of money, but it's really only uh, the price of one dam, for example. China spent that much on the uh, Three Gorges Dam. California's bungling waste could finance a good part of that bill. The half-wits that run uh, the Golden State recently flushed $5 billion down the toilet on their, their bullet train to nowhere. So if the um, $1. trillion House of Saud and the oil-rich Emirates and the U.N. and the U.S., EU, China, and Israel were to share the burden, this matter could be settled once and for all and uh, give the Gazans a new lease on a better future rather than you know living in rubble in camps. Mordechai, what do well, you have to say? Two, two points here, uh, David. Uh, your idea is sound, basically, but there are two sticking points here that you should be aware of. First of all, no Gazan lives in camps. They're called camps by the media. They're not camps. They're the suburbs. They have high-rise flatness. Some of those flats in those camps can cost as much as 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 as, as many 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 hundreds of thousands of dollars. These are not camps. They're just called camps because that's convenient to the media. Um, the second point is that um, you're claiming uh, you're, you're you're suggesting to transfer them to other Arab Muslim countries. No Arab Muslim country today agrees to accept anyone from Gaza because they view them as being horrible persons that they don't want anything to do with. Not Egypt, uh, not Saudi Arabia, not Jordan, none of them. Even Jordan, which, which has a majority of so-called Palestinians, will not accept anyone from Gaza, even by marriage. No one... No one Living and growing up in Gaza is allowed into Jordan or into any other Arab country today. There yeah, but- are 400,000 Gazans, former Gazans, that lived in Kuwait when Saddam Hussein invaded it. All of them were ejected. So All of them were transferred out. Mordechai, I just wanted to say I was watching Al Jazeera yesterday because I watch what the, the news agencies that are my enemy are saying because I want to hear what they're saying and they were they were showing a report that uh Poland just absorbed was it Poland one other country I forget which one just absorbed a million Ukrainians now I think that other countries doesn't have to be necessarily the Arab countries we know that that the Arab countries don't want them especially Egypt they're doing everything they can in order to close their borders not to let them through but Ireland maybe or Australia or there was another country that was showing a lot of uh, sympathy towards the poor, poor Gazan Hamas supporters. It was Ireland and one other country. I don't remember. They they could take him. Oh, South Africa. <laughs> Who took us to The Hague. So what would you say about that? Me or, or, or Mordecai? Anyone, anyone. Well, you know, he, he's got a good point, except, you know, he... he Coming to a country bucks up, you know, with $100,000 in cash in your pocket and being able to buy a house and start anew, that's a little different than a refugee uh, arriving with his, with his hands out. 
Moving populations around to satisfy the exigent needs of political moments is as old as history. In 1923, 1.5 million Greek and Turkish minorities were exchanged, ending a thousand years of warfare, going all the way back to the Byzantines. And there's been a whole century of complete peace between those two nations ever since. India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh were created the same way. Paying people off to go away is an even older tradition. Rome's Vi Victus harkens back to the, you know, buying the Celts off in 390 B.C. Charles the Bald gave Ragnar Lothbrok uh, six tons of silver to quit Paris and move on. The most famous example, uh, even Alfred the Great and his successors paid Danegeld to, uh, to the Vikings for two centuries, from, 18, from 850 to 1050. So it's not, it's, uh, at this point, it's not a question of asking the Gazans if they'd like to go away. It would be, Give each household $100,000, or I'd, you know, I'd pick that number out of the air. It could be 80, it could be 120, whatever, and let them know it's time to move on. This business, this three quarter, uh, this, this war is ridiculous. I mean, what's the alternative? Have a 75 year war turn into a 100 years war? The same absurdly tired and threadbare repetitions of disaster have now been entered, uh, you know, re- ceaselessly. Uh, it's in the insane idea department now. Any, anything, any other idea than this. Uh, these are parties that need separating, period. Anyone with a functioning brain sees that ostensibly, and that should be the starting point in any discussion, how to, how to end this conflict permanently, permanently. Hmm. By the way, David, one week before October 7th, before the war, this, this war began with that, with that horrible slaughter, one week before it, over 100,000 Armenians were peaceably ejected from the Gano Korobach and resettled with nobody making it even making any sounds about it. So it's one week before, over 100,000 people. So, I mean, technically, you're absolutely correct, of course. Well, what about the, well, the German? The 15 million Germans after World War II were, were forcibly resettled. Two million of them were murdered in the, in the offing. Uh, Silesia, Pomerania, Prussia, simply disappeared from the from the map i mean this is uh the, the gazans pretend like you know they're the, and, and here's the point uh isn't it time to give the kurds and other decent people a chance for their moment in the sun to make their case for their statehood the palestinians have have uh have uh, shanghai the world's uh they've monopolized the world forum screaming for their state, screaming for their state, which was given to them a quarter of a century ago, handed to them on a silver platter by Rabin and, and, and Clinton in, uh, at uh, nine, Camp nine David. Times, David. And they, they just simply, times. you know, fled the scene, and now they're back to screaming for another state. No, 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 this is, this, is, this is done. This was done a quarter of a century ago. It's time to focus now on the Kurds, uh, the Basque, maybe even the, you know, the, uh, the, the Scots. There's other decent people who... Uh, who are politely waiting their turn to make their case for their own statehood. Enough with the three-quarter long tail chasing. This is the most absurd, uh, at this point, nauseating episode in modern history. It's gone on too long. It needs to be ended. And asking the, the Gazans what they'd like is not in the cards, as far as I'm concerned. Mm, very well put. By the way, you know, again, a, a, a point of data, uh, hundreds of thousands of Gazans have been leaving over the past uh, over the past decade. When Gazans are given a chance to leave, they leave. They don't want to be there. 
Yeah, well, nobody wants to. Why would anybody want to live in rubble and in conflict and, you know, with, next to people that don't like them or don't trust them or whoever's fault it is? It's time to, uh, you know, a divorce, a very simple, painless divorce. And to give the, and not to harm the Gazan people, to, you know, to, act, you know, to actually give them the means to move on and to uh, resettle, reestablish, start a new, uh, a, a bright new future in Lebanon or Kuwait or Jordan or Egypt or anywhere else. Uh, and it, as, as Tamar said, it wouldn't have to be an Arab country. Uh, there's countries that would probably welcome people with, uh, you know, a, a, a big fat check in their in their pocket, uh, looking to buy a home and start anew. So hmm. that's my proposal. It was published in the Times of Israel and in the uh, the great Jewish press in New York City. And I'm pleased to have uh, been able to uh, to uh, echo it on your on your airwaves. Much obliged. Well, thank you, David. And it's good to know that we have uh, people who are not Jewish, who are supporting Israel and thinking rationally how to make lives better for everybody and more peaceful and more safe for everybody. And, and uh, I appreciate that. Well, no, my, my pleasure. Thanks for the time and trouble. I, I, it's, it's been an honor to have a word with your, with your audience. All right. You and and again, day. if anybody wants to read that article, they can go and, uh, you know what? I will link to the article. Uh, maybe on the podcast, the, the page where the podcast is, and they can go look it up on the Times of Israel or the Jewish Press. And the title is Time Challenged Gazans Must Be Shown a Calendar by David Nabhan. Did I pronounce your last name right? Yeah, you got it right. That's Arabic for uh, alert. I'm, I'm half Lebanese, so. Oh, wow. That, that- you, you probably speak Arabic too. Wallah, on the bidiat alam Arabi. No, I don't speak. I don't <laughs> okay. speak Arabic, unfortunately. <laughs> All I know is the word alert. My last name. <laughs> Nabhan. Okay. And I can count and curse in Arabic. That's about it. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, I is all Israelis curse in, in Arabic. You know that, right? <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> okay. Again, my pleasure. Thanks again. Thank you, David. Be well. Bye bye. All right. Bye. It's so funny. I just want to tell the listeners that all of the Israelis curse in Arabic usually because there aren't very many curse words at all in, in Hebrew. So when they want to curse, well, they, they go to Arabic. All. What? There aren't any at all. Well, you can say... I mean, except the ones that have been made in, made in slang yeah. from Arabic. Yeah, okay. But there's the, you know, there's, there's the Ben and with the Z in front of, you know, for the next, I don't want to say that, but, uh, you know, there's things like that. But, uh, yeah, they, they use, uh, other languages to curse in because they're, they're basically are not curse words in, in, uh, Hebrew. Very interesting. All right. Uh, very good. Listen, uh, Rabbi Mayor Kahana's Zichonoli Vracha had talked about transferring, uh, the Arabs out of Israel, giving them money for their homes and letting them go make a new life someplace else. He said that already in the, in the seventies, maybe even earlier and, uh, the 1970s. And, uh, and then afterwards, uh, Rachavam Zaevi, who was a politician in the Knesset, also ran on that idea of transfer. He was elected to the Knesset. People were for it here in Israel. And sadly, he was assassinated. Both at, of them were murdered, by the way. By yes, Arabs. both of them were assassinated. In fact, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Both of them were assassinated, uh, killed by, uh, uh they were shot. Uh, both of them, I think, in the head. Both of them were shot in the head, and uh, they were killed. God, uh, God forbid. And and uh, so now we are back at here again. So, you know, if we don't do it, no one's going to have a good life. And I want to make something clear also. And you you did that too, Mordechai, is that you said that uh, it's not a camp. And I want to tell you that my sons were in Gaza, and other soldiers that I speak with in Gaza, and they're saying how. Uh, nice their homes are, how nice their apartments are and beachfront property. And uh, 
I see videos also because, you know, some some of these soldiers that go with uh, GoPros on their helmet as they're going into these homes, those their rooms are so big. I look at the size of their living rooms, the size of their bedrooms. Halavai, like I should have such a nice house as, as these people do. It's really amazing. It's just just uh, interesting. OK, uh, well, remember, you know, some, some of these people that talked about um, uh, 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 separating Gaza at the time of the Oslo debacle, um, talk about making Gaza into the Singapore of the Mediterranean. And, and the, the concept was a sound concept. You just had the wrong people to implement it. That's yeah, all. yeah. Right. All right. Uh, and, and you, and, and talk about natural, natural setting. Gaza really is one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Phenomenal beaches. Yes, it is. Climate. Yes, it is. Because I was down there when Jews were still living there before the expulsion of Jews from Gush Katif in 2005. I was down there. I remember it was for a Rosh Hashanah holiday. Oh, and as we speak, we are getting again red alerts, uh, sirens. Uh, where is this? This is in uh, Dishon and Malchia. This is uh, again up in the north, and we are praying for the, the uh, safety of our citizens. Uh, I was down there in Gush Katif, which is in Gaza, and beautiful, beautiful beaches and sunset. And uh, I remember watching the sunset over there. Really prime property. They, they could have made it the Riviera of the Middle East, and they did not do that. Um, Quite the opposite. They made it into the exact opposite. Yeah, they made it into a hellhole terrorist den. And now they are uh, reaping what they sowed. They are reaping Sorry? what they they are reaping what they sowed. Yes. The, fa- the, fa- the fact is that they didn't make it just into terrible for us. They made it terrible for themselves as well. And that is why, as I've said many times in the, in, over the past few months, um, many hundreds of thousands of Gazans have left over the past uh, 10 years. But the problem is that the world doesn't want them to leave. The world tries to prevent them from leaving. Because it weakens right. Israel. It weakens Israel. Yes. The only country, and, and I, I'm, I'm sort of loath to say something positive about Turkey, but the only country that has actually facilitated, helped Gazans to leave Gaza has been Turkey. I mean, there's a lot of things that I can say to criticize Turkey, but on that point, they have been a serious, uh, a, a serious player and have actually done a lot of good. They've given out hundreds of thousands of visas to allow people to, live, to leave. Okay, before we go to our next topic... To, to settle in Egypt. Of yes, they're they are uh look, you know, everyone's blaming Israel that Israel doesn't let them leave, but who's who's blocking the southern border? That's Egypt that's blocking them from coming in. Uh before we go to our next topic, we're gonna blocking we have it? another no, they're they're only blocking it from people going out. They're not blocking any goods from going in. Oh sorry. As we've seen with the massive yes. uh world's global quantities of of ammunition and, and arms that went in through that southern border of Gaza from Egypt. Right, and perhaps some terrorists to escape also. Uh, we have a caller. We have Tar joining us, uh, as I said last week, I think was from the occupied territories of Kansas. Hi there, Tar. What's your comment or question for us here at Israel News Talk Radio? Uh, yeah, Kamar, thank you for um, a call. Uh, I, uh, with all respect to your your. Uh, the other guest that just called in, uh, which he has a very good uh, uh, plan, but but the idea of them having their own country or or about the land that that's not the 
the issue here. Uh, they've been offered, Gaza was offered uh, their own state uh, in the very beginning, and they declined it uh, many times. Uh, it's about eradicating the Jews. Nine. Nine and it doesn't times. matter if it comes, what country, Muslim country it comes from. It's all about eradicating the Jews. And it's that simple. Uh, I'm afraid that you are right. I'm afraid that you're right. Uh, there was a big hatred against us. And, you know, when the British were here, you didn't see any liberation groups from, uh, from the, the, the Arabs trying to, trying to wrest the, their, their homeland of Palestine that they claim from the, from the British. No. But when it came to Israel, ah, the true owners, that's when they started to get scared because they knew the British were occupiers, but they know that the Jews, this is our home. And that's why they're fighting us so fiercely now, because they know that we're the true owners. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, oh, during, the time, during the time of the of the mandate, the Palestinians were us. Yes, my father was a Palestinian. My father yes. was a Palestinian. And the Arabs were Arabs. Thanks for your call, Tar. The Arabs would take umbrage if you called them a Palestinian, because that meant you were calling them a Jew. They would say, I'm a Southern Syrian or I'm an Egyptian. That's what they would say. Just, 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 just last week, there was a, a, a video released from a senior member of Hamas who shouted that there are no Palestinians. They're all Egyptians or, or Syrians or Saudis. And I can send you the, 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 the video. It's a two-minute video. A senior Hamas official shouting about that on the television. There are no Palestinians, he said. Okay, we have another caller, Mordechai. Hang on one moment. Uh, hi, hey, caller. What's your Lovely. comment or question Excellent. for us here? The, the don't want peace. Gaza, for them, is a cash cow to bring them money and sympathy. And number three is the world is saying to Israel is, we, you know, I'm a kosher pig. I'm doing better than you. I have more morals and value. And that is why one of the purpose of why they don't want it. And the world is not going to um, um, go forward with it, unfortunately. So I think Israel needs to just push them out, period. You don't belong here. You can't make peace. No, no more, period, in a conversation. Well, they're there. Antonio for uh, defense minister here in Israel. <laughs> okay, thanks for your I'd be call, a very harsh you. one. I'd be very strict with and said no. Torah says this, and this is what it is, period. All right. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Antonio. Well said. Okay. All right. Uh, we're on the last or second to last topic. Okay. Uh, second to last, but I, I, we don't have time for everything. So it doesn't matter. And the callers are no, more we do. We, we do. We do. We can take more callers, and we, I think we do have t uh, time, so go ahead. Okay. I want to talk a little about this issue of NATO expansion. Um, does it actually serve the goals of NATO or does it not? Um, and one of the very fascinating aspects that people are, are, are not aware of and, and is not being discussed is that as NATO expanded eastward, its industrial base declined. That's across NATO. That's whether you're talking about Germany or the United States we talk about Canada or France. As NATO expanded eastward, the industrial base declined. Today, Russia, 
which has a, a population of 140 million, has more has a greater industrial base. And I remind people, the United States won the Second World War primarily because of its phenomenal industrial base. It no longer has that. Russia today, with 140 million people, outperforms the industrial base of the United States with 330 million people. That is a catastrophe. So if the whole purpose of, of expanding NATO eastward is to stick Russia in the, in the eye, it's just no longer a sufficient excuse for expansion. It doesn't work. Hmm. NATO is no longer a bulwark to safeguard Europe. I don't know why NATO still exists. I don't know why. There must be a reason. I, I want to believe that there's a reason. I don't perceive it. Um, Houthis just sunk a, a, a UK um, a cargo vessel. It was not bound for Israel. It was not owned by Israel. It had nothing whatever to do with Israel. It was purely UK. It was uh, um, uh, um, uh, uh, transporting fertilizer. Not transporting it to Israel. The fertilizer was um, uh, uh, sunk in the Babel Mandan. Remember, Babel Mandan means the Straits of Tears. This is where the Arabs brought black slaves from Africa. So if you are in any, in any way, I don't know how to say this politely, dark-complected, then you should be very aware that this is the place where your ancestors were had the maximum mistreatment. That's why it's called this, the Gates of Tears. The crew abandoned the ship because it was sinking. There have been four Houthi strikes in, 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 two, in three days in the Red Sea. The, the, the ship was called the Rubimar or something like that. I don't know how to pronounce it. R-U-B-Y-N-A-R. It's the first ship to actually have been sunk by the Houthis in the Red Sea. In all of these things. Who's the world's largest fertilizer exporter? Are people, are people aware of that? It's Russia. So is this has this anything to do with the war in, in, in Gaza? Absolutely not. It has to do with the price of fertilizer on the world market. Russia wants to make money. So the Houthis sunk a, 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 a UK fertilizer ship. Uh, people, again, people just don't get the data, don't connect the dots because the Western media prevents people from getting real data, understanding what's going on. The whole business in the Red Sea has nothing whatever to do with the war in Gaza or with, or with Israel at all. It's a bluff. Anyway. Anyway. we go on from, uh, from that? Yes. <laughs> Uh, people don't understand the, the ramifications of what's being discussed, and that is really one of the major issues that I believe we need to be addressing here on Israel News Talk Radio. Everything they try to to somehow relate to us, and in, in really in real time, in real terms, some things are related, but usually in ways that people just don't expect. U.S. government debt. Just a couple of words about this, a, a, a short little thing. 2024, uh, a $1.4 trillion 
deficit for the year. Um, that's an enormous figure. Um, that plus an $8.9 trillion government debt maturing this year. In other words, what is government debt in the United States? The government usually, not always, but usually the debt is in the form of some sort of a bond. The bond matures at some point and needs to be paid. So can the United States government pay out $8.9 trillion tomorrow? Probably not. Is it maturing this year? The bonds that are that cover this debt right now were issued at a very low rate of interest. Interest rate has, as everyone knows, has risen quite sharply over the past um, uh, uh, two or three years. So the new debt that will be used to roll over this these $8.9 trillion in existing debt will be rolled over in much more expensive rates of interest. That means that the United States government debt, which now stands at about $34.5 trillion, will jump very quickly, much more quickly than it has been jumping till now. We're not talking about a gradual rise. We're talking about a sudden jump, a very significant sudden jump. No one can really predict exactly how much. We don't know what the quantity of bonds or the price of those bonds will be. Um, uh, 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 probably very little chance, as I said, that the government can repay the debt. Um, refinancing of the current, current higher interest rate will force the rates higher. If the U.S. dares to actually confiscate Russia's assets, which is something that's been banding about, abandoned about now in the in American um, journalists, American uh, uh, media, uh, as people are probably aware, the United States froze some 300 or 350 billion dollars in Russian assets at the start of the war. They're frozen. They're not. They're not, by the way, resident in the United States, but they're frozen in other countries across Europe where Russia had them had them as deposits. Um, and then now the United States government uh, or some people in the United States government are talking about confiscating it in order to um, uh, 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 pay to um, uh, um, refurbish or whatever the word might be um, uh, Ukraine once the war is over. Um, they're still assuming that Ukraine will win. I, doubt, I still doubt that that will happen. But anyway, what will be the result of confiscation of Russian assets? Um, I will quote Powell, the um, the uh, Fed, uh, the head of the uh, U.S. Federal Reserve. Quote, the U.S. is on an unsustainable fiscal path. Unquote. One option is for the Fed to print $10 trillion, doubling its balance sheet. It's highly inflationary. If the United States confiscates money that is owned by Russia. Who will buy these bonds issued by the, by the American government? Basically, <coughs> basically, no one will agree to buy the bonds. So how will America roll over its existing debt? That is a conundrum that nobody is talking about in the United States right now. 
the demand for, for U.S. Treasury bonds, for U.S. government bonds, has never been lower than it is today. If this, if the, act, if the government actually does what they're threatening to do, the um, demand for these bonds will drop precipitously to basically no one will want them anymore. Even a country like Japan will not buy American debt if they're concerned that America can at some time confiscate their assets. It just doesn't work that way. And just on a, um, um, a, a personal note to close here, this issue of, of, of debts and things like that, just to put it on a, instead of a national level, on a personal level, I've said it before, I'll say it again, I believe in gold. When I first recommended gold in July 2022, the price was $1,550. It's now over $2,000. 30% in 18 months is a lot better than any stock, stock that you can buy on the market today. Okay. Um, I wanted to insert uh, a story here that's happening in Israel. Uh, and it kind of, uh, seg your, your previous statement segues into it where the United States can confiscate, uh, what was the word that you used? Not confiscate, uh, confiscate. Yes. I yeah. Used, that was the word the, you used. To confiscate so, Russian, Russian assets. Okay. Right. Their assets. Exactly. Okay. So this actually goes into a story that's happening here in Israel and um, I'm going to be reading from a couple of different sources, but I don't know if people know, but there have been Israelis here that have uh, been targeted by the Biden administration, unfortunately. And uh, let me just read from you here. It says here, and this is from IsraelNationalNews.com, Arutsheva. It says here, an Israeli farmer had sanctions put on him by the president of the United States. He tells Arutsheva News, I couldn't believe it. Biden is occupied with me. Uh, target of U.S. sanctions to Arutsheva. This is the title. I couldn't believe it. Is Biden? Uh, Biden is occupied with me. Ever since Yoni Levy, a farmer from south of Hebron, that's a city here in Israel, a holy city, by the way, found out he was subject to U.S. sanctions. He and his wife Sapir's bank account had been blocked and they can't purchase necessities at the grocery store. I couldn't believe it again, he says. Biden is occupied with me. He's a farmer, folks. He later continues uh, that, um, well, the, the article basically says that the United States, the Biden, or I should put, put better, the Biden administration is targeting people who are basically, uh, they say are, they, they label them ex, uh, extremist and violent settlers. Hmm? Remember that? And that's what they are terming them as. That doesn't mean it's the truth. And anyone who is going against the two-state solution. Let me read to you some of these things here. Uh, first of all, I want to ask all of you, whatever happened to the great American uh, saying, you're innocent until proven guilty? Listen to this, folks. The farmer is saying, he's a young man and his wife and their farmers, they have sheep, etc. He says, there was a complaint by Palestinians who complained to the police about a few things. I was in a few public interrogations and the police understood that the complaints against him were baseless. And he says, I was released after an hour or two. Nothing was left open. As we have both said many times, 
The Arabs don't want a two-state solution either. This is Nobody true. does. Only Biden does. This is true. So here we see a politically motivated use of the law, illegally, by the way, trying to get into Israel domestic matters with a, a farmer who is not convicted of anything and they freeze his bank account. And it's because of the Biden administration and the farmer himself can't believe that 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 the president of the United States, Joe Biden, is occupied with him. Is <laughs> thinking about him. Where what about the Hezbollah bombing Israeli um bombing Israeli communities? We just had at least two alert sirens, I think three red alert sirens of uh incoming but, rocket but, but, fire on Israel. No, 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 you, you misunderstand. He can't block the, the, the bank accounts of Hezbollah. Hezbollah is the largest drug dealer in the world. You can't block their bank accounts. Well, him and the you pharmaceutical the companies. The, <laughs> the cocaine, the fentanyl, yeah. the, the, the opiates. I mean, who's going to bring it into United States? You, you have to have a, a, a clear importer. Wait, then. I want to ask, why wasn't Yasser, I want to tell everybody, Yasser Arafat was posted in the Forbes uh, business magazine. I think it was in 2003. He was listed as one of the 100 richest people in the world. How does a terrorist become one of the 100? He was top. I mean, I think he was in the top 25 or something. I don't know. But he's listed in Forbes magazine as one of the richest people in the world. How does a terrorist get so much money? It's called kleptomania. He's stealing it all. He's stealing it all. And uh, did they stop his bank account? Did they put a stop in his bank account? What about Sinwar, who planned this whole October 7th massacre and is still having the Hamas fight Israel, not surrender, using their own people as human shields? He's a terrorist, a convicted, a convicted terrorist that we let out in a, in a prisoner swap for Gilad Shalit. Why isn't his bank account being uh, closed and frozen? And Harald Marshall and Hania and, and uh, Mahmoud Abbas, <laughs> who does the pay for slay, right? Pay for kill a Jew, and we're going to pay you money for it. How come his bank account isn't law, frozen? The, 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 the I'm telling you, the world is so hypocritical. And unfortunately, as our caller Antonio said, we cannot trust. Uh, everybody blindly and we can't trust our governments and we can't even trust our doctors blindly we can't do these things we have to okay, analyze Mar, and... I trust you. <laughs> you have to one has to check everything and use their noggin <laughs> use their brain and see what the truth is you've got to find it today and in, in this day and age people have to look and find the truth because it's not going to be presented to them all of these things Anyway, we're going to end the show here. Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem, you have any last words you want to say here on the show for today? No, Not last no, words, I, but, you know, I, for the show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think this issue of trust is so very central to everything that's wrong today with Western civilization, with Western culture. We trust the wrong people and we distrust the right people. And it's just, it's just, it's killing the the culture. It's killing the society. It's killing our civilization. It's very tragic. I was talking to a friend of mine, a very close friend in the United States, just um, just yesterday, 
uh, uh, no, this, uh, this pardon me, this morning, and I'm saying, uh, you know, I, I, uh, his his daughter is is I think 18 now, his youngest, his youngest. I I I feel terrible. What are we what are we leaving this next generation? Yeah, well, it's our next scary. generation is fighting now for for the corruption in our generation. This is true. All right, uh, we're going to yeah, stop look, here. In Israel, with all of our problems, we're in a lot better shape than America is today, so, uh, socially, and in terms of the society. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. We really do have much more of a wholesome society here. People get married. They don't just live to. I mean, we have people who live together, but still, we're a marriage-oriented society. We're a children-oriented society. We're having children, etc. Um, and people are well, optimistic, more or less. Here today is close to four among among Israeli Jews. I mean that that no other uh, industrialized country in the world has anything anywhere near that birth rate. That's a sign of optimism. All right, we'll end it here. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. Thank you, Dr. Mordechai Ben Menachem, and thank you to our callers and to our guest David Nabhan, uh, and thank you to everybody. And we're wishing you peace and safety and wholesomeness and goodness and uh, blessings for all good things. Thank you, everybody, for being with us. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.